Welcome to the New Thinking for a New World podcast, where we explore the most pressing issues that are challenging and changing our societies. We are looking for new thinking and new solutions wherever we can find them. Listen as host Alan Stoga, the Talberg Foundation's chairman, challenges his guests for analysis, ideas and actions. Together, we can help make our world at least a bit better. We live in the age of the refugee. Driven by war, drought, pestilence, the numbers of people fleeing their homes seems only to increase year after year. Arguably, however, no country in the West has been more welcoming to refugees over the years than Sweden has. Progressive, secular, social democratic, Swedes have worked hard not only to welcome refugees, but to integrate them into their society, to help refugees create new lives by becoming Swedish. How then to explain what happened last month during Easter when Stockholm, Malmo, and other cities were racked by riots and violent clashes between police and mostly Muslim young men? The proximate cause was actual or rumored Quran burnings, but there was something bigger, more fundamental going on, perhaps. Over the past decade or so, many refugees fleeing wars in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, seemed to decide they didn't want to become Swedes. Instead, they wanted to remain who they were, but to live in a safe, wealthy country. Is there space in Sweden for people who don't want to be Swedish? What if many of those refugees reject Swedish progressive values in favor of Islamic values, whatever that means in particular? And what does all this imply for other countries who have not done anywhere near as well as Sweden over the years, coping with waves of refugees? Lars Eborg has thought and written about these questions for years. Recognized as one of his country's leading journalists, he has also authored more than 20 books. His beat covers social affairs, culture, politics, and the media. Thank you, Lars, for joining us on this episode of New Thinking for a New World. Thank you. Let's start with Easter and then put it in context. Rasmus Paludan wanted to burn Korans in Sweden. You wrote that, and I quote, a healthy society has no difficulty dealing with a fool or village idiot, unquote. That implies something about your view of Swedish society. What is what is what what is Swedish society like these days? It's um, a much more divided society than it used to be, say, 20 years ago. And um, the. The most obvious change has been the uh, development of what we normally discuss as um, parallel societies, meaning enclaves uh, in tenement suburbs where mostly immigrants live and where the values of some of the immigrants tend to be different from uh, those of the majority of a population. And so there's been a growing divide in Swedish society over the years. And it's now reached a level where even politicians who have denied the existence of such divides have had to um, confirm the the obvious obvious, the situation, which is quite obvious, and just yesterday or a couple of days ago, the prime minister 
said that we have now come to uh, a point where parallel societies are really a, a problem, a prominent problem in, in our society. And I would say it's the first time that the leading politician in Sweden says something like that. So when you say parallel societies, when the prime minister says parallel societies, what what do you mean? What does she mean? Uh, I think I mean, at least, and I think most people mean that we live separate lives in 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 different different parts of the country, which used to be pretty homogeneous and with a cultural consensus for many years, for many decades. And. Now it's obvious that uh, even on the next block, you have people with completely different values, often religious values that are uh, contrary to the secular ideas and ideals of the Swedish society. And this is something that has been very difficult, I think, for most Swedes to uh, to accept or to deal with, because we are not normally uh, used to uh, people with very strong beliefs. We might have beliefs in democracy, in equality, and all those beautiful things, but we tend to be reluctant to discuss with people who are who are very fierce and very uh, sometimes angry beliefs about uh, religion, about gods, and and also the the difference between uh, a secular and a more spiritual legislation, which is this is the Quran burning is uh, not really the uh, the only thing that that lay behind those uh, riots, the Easter riots. But it, it, it was part of it because most of the people involved were probably Muslims, though I doubt if the majority of them read the Quran or practice their religion uh, uh, very vigorously. But it, it was something that spurred their anger and it also provided um, a way for them to tell the surrounding society that actually they are not part of it. It, they, it was a demonstration of separation of a separate society, which I think was something that many Swedes, um, uh, they couldn't really believe it, that there was this divide for the people who have uh, been interested in segregation and integration issues for a long time. They they know about this. They know about these divides. But it, it came as sort of a shock to a lot of people, I think, that this would happen in the midst of a very calm and uh, consensus-oriented society. Let me clarify. Is it, in your judgment, the question that these the people who are out burning buses burning cars, confronting police, and being confronted by police, uh, feel apart. But do they want to feel apart, or do they want to integrate into Swedish society? Let's, let's be precise. I don't think the, the people, the rioters uh, who confronted the police, want to be 
or to become a part of Swedish society. They, they want to lead their own lives with their own values, their own institutions. Uh, and it's clear that, that a lot of these people who were involved in the riots are really basically criminals. They're criminal people. They belong to uh, criminal networks. And what they don't want in their community or in their neighborhood is the police. They want to get rid of the um, symbols or the representatives of Swedish society. They, they want to control a certain segment or a certain part of the city. As I said in my intro, in effect, these are people in your judgment and I think it seems to be the case, that want the safety and perhaps the wealth of Sweden, but don't really want to be in Sweden. They want to be in their own space in, inside this larger thing called Sweden. Yeah, that, that's probably true. I mean, the uh, the story of the immigration to Sweden has, has uh, had many chapters through the years. It, it started in the six, fifth, even the 50s, but the 60s, uh, with um, immigration of labor, people would arrive in Sweden on Friday and start working on Monday, basically. And they would come from Southern Europe, from the Balkan states, from Italy, from Turkey. Uh, since the uh, turn of the millennium, most people who have come to Sweden have not come primarily to work. They have come, some have come fleeing from wars, but a lot of them are immigrants or migrants rather that are looking for a better life. And they, a lot of them bring their village culture, their village way of life with them into Sweden and uh, hope to continue living the same way, but at a level which is uh, somewhat more financially safe. So that, that's one, one of the reasons why immigrate, I think why immigration have, has become a political issue in Sweden. As long as people came to work, there was no problem. And uh, most people were assimilated into Swedish society, even if we didn't use the term assimilation. But now it's obvious we have roughly 1 million people in this country of 11 million people who uh, are subsidized by the taxpayers who don't work. And most of them will probably never work because they don't have the education that's suitable in on the Swedish labor market, the job market. And uh, also, unfortunately, for some people, it's, it's very convenient to be a uh, to lead a life where you don't have to work, but you, you can sustain pretty high life standard without having to work for it. So subsidies and uh, social welfare is definitely a magnet for a lot of people who have come here. And I think the during the crisis, the migrant crisis, asylum crisis in 2015, when a million people came to Europe, um, the majority of the people who came to Sweden at that time, and there was almost 200,000 people, were not refugees or laborers. They were people who were looking for a 
in different ways for a better, better and improved way of life. And um, so the, the, this is um, at the core, I think, of the um, distrust in, the, in politics and the media, which has been very apparent in, in Sweden over the past, say, five to seven years. And of course, during that period, uh, you had the emergence of the Swedish Democrats in part as a reaction to uh, this kind of migration, immigration that you're talking about. Uh, and you've had a series of violent incidents. Easter was not the first. Easter was only the most most recent. Um, but you said earlier that you thought that Easter, the Easter events um really were important are important in the sense that people are beginning to acknowledge the problem that politicians are beginning to say there are parallel societies that integration hasn't worked in the way that it was designed to work uh, to sustain a homogeneous society uh, what next where does it go obviously depends on the reactions and the responses from society. Uh, riots in um, these areas, these neighborhoods uh, are nothing new. For instance, in, in Malmö, which is the third city of Sweden, which is where I grew up and spent a lot of, lot of my time, uh, there were riots in 2008. And uh, they were... Um, Buildings were set on fire and so forth, but they were mostly youth, youthful, a lot of teenagers. And they threw uh, bricks and rocks at the police. But it, it was more of, um, it wasn't at, as organized as this time, this Easter. These people who burned buses, uh, police vehicles and so forth, they were older and they were hardened and they were pretty well organized. And that's why I, I believe they are uh, part of, the, of criminal networks, which wasn't the case really 15 years ago. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been a worsening situation where th this is a sign not only of the um, the possibility of violence, but it's also a sign that these groups, these criminal groups, have established themselves within Swedish society, and they feel pretty sure of themselves. They uh, they want to demonstrate their own power, and uh, when they don't throw rocks at the police, they uh, work through other channels to strengthen their influence in society. It could be through business, it could be through local politics. We've had several examples of criminal uh, affiliations in uh, local politics. And um, the police, the national police in Stockholm, every year releases a study of organized crime within institutions and businesses. And it's a quite scary reading. And it's, it's a problem that's increasing, that it's 
the corruption, the uh, culture of silence, which makes people who work in, in public services um, silence themselves. Um, all these reports are coming regularly now at, at a speed which we didn't see or didn't uh, think of some 10 or 10 years ago. So it's, it's, a, it's a sort of the mob-like, a mafia-like criminality, which is um, uh, increasing and strengthening in, in this country. And I think the, the throwing of stones and the uh, setting on fire of cars is just, uh, it's just a sh show of strength, really. If you feel that the world lacks global leaders, please help support the Talberg Foundation programs. Individual donations are being accepted at talbergfoundation.org slash donate. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org slash donate. Let's talk about symbols for a second. Um, the Quran and the burning of the Quran is obviously a symbol. It's an important symbol. Uh, so too is the hijab. And clearly Sweden just is justifiably proud of the leadership it has taken over the years on gender equality. It's an important part of the definition of what Sweden is, who Swedes are. Um, but you have immigrants who don't share those values, uh, who women who and children who wear the hijab which is an incredibly powerful symbol in their own communities, uh, but also in the larger, larger Swedish community. So violence and organized criminality is one thing. There's this, I don't know if the right word is softer side, this symbolic side of communities that clearly don't want to be Swedish. They want to be what they are and, and live in Sweden. Yet you have public institutions that are based on that, those Swedish values. Is that, can that circle be squared? Uh, I think it's something that Swedish society has a lot of problems handling. Um, once upon a time, I would say the, the, um, what I grew up with uh, was a sense of solidarity. Solidarity was a very, it was a key word when uh, the welfare state was uh, erected. And uh, nowadays, uh, the key word is tolerance. And tolerance is a word that can be used in many different ways. It's, it's, it's something positive, of course, but it can also mean that you don't care. And um, I would say that uh, the main feature of official Swedish policies and politics when it comes to immigrants is, is tolerance and not caring. Uh, because for one thing, I, I've written a book about honor culture, which is something that has grown with the immigration of people from uh, essentially the Middle East. And um, it's, it's a growing problem because more and more young people in schools in Sweden are um, part of the honor culture and they, some of them are of course oppressed by this culture. 
But the Swedish authorities have had a very hard time dealing with honor culture because uh, on the one hand, they don't like it because it's oppressive and it um, makes a difference between boys and girls and so forth. And But on the other hand, it's the culture of the immigrants or these immigrants, these particular immigrant groups. And who are we to tell immigrants to change their culture? So it's a... Uh, Sweden has been caught somewhere between hubris and uh, self, I would say, trying to get rid of, of its own values. It, it's, it's, um, it's a very, it's a, it's, it's a mixed up confusion and it's a very tricky place to be. And you, you can meet officials that are very um, uh, concerned and very conscious about, for instance, on a culture, but you can also meet people who say, okay, let them lead their own lives. We, we shouldn't get involved with this. And uh, one of the main reasons why we shouldn't get involved is the risk of being called a racist or uh, uh, discriminating people from uh, other parts of the world. And I would say uh, it's the contrary. If, if you treat people coming from other countries differently from how you treat people from Sweden, that could turn out to be racist because it means that really this, this, in this, fashion, this tolerant fashion is a way of looking down at people coming from other cultures, uh, implicitly saying that they don't know as well as we that democracy and freedom of speech and gender equality are the ways to go so we we have to wait for these people to be, become as modern and progressive as we are and and i think it's been it's been um, quite a problem with swedish migration policies that we haven't made much clearer from the start what kind of values are essentials to this society. And uh, we have told everybody that you, you need to integrate, but at the same time, you have given grants to organizations and clubs and associations that essentially promote uh, segregation and also the segregation of boys and girls. So it's a, it's a mixed message. It is a mixed message, but isn't it a bit, and hubris might be the right word, a bit like Fukuyama and the end of history. Swedes assumed that anyone coming to Sweden naturally would want to evolve to be Swedish because it's a good thing to be. Yeah. Uh, it's true in France. It's true in Poland. It's true in the United States. The assumption that the point of the migration wasn't just to get away from something, but get to something. And what you're describing is a realization that that's probably not the right assumption. Maybe it was a century ago, but it is, or even 50 years ago, uh, but it's no longer. That we aren't the end of history. Uh, we're the end of history for ourselves, but, but not for others, perhaps. So where, where do you go with that? And, and, and I deliberately widen the aperture because it is clearly not just a Swedish issue, although I think Sweden becomes a bit of the canary in the mine 
on this one because relatively small society, wealthy society, homogeneous society, and one that worked as hard as anybody on the planet to integrate refugees. Uh, so what do, what are the rest of us looking from outside and watching this car crash that you've been describing? What ought we conclude, do you think? I think we should, or you should conclude that the, uh, the Swedish version of tolerance um, has not been uh, particularly successful. I describe the Swedish system as a system of structural benevolence. We, some, some people will say that we, we have a, an institutionalized racism or discrimination here, but I, I would say what is institutionalized in Sweden is the benevolence of the official benevolence. And um, th this is something that is really hard to maintain in a world which is much crueler. We, we're nice, decent people, just a tiny little group of people up north. And we view ourselves as the uh, promoters of a perfect society. But we're surrounded by people and countries who are not as perfect. And um, a lot of the people who have come to Sweden now, I would say I, ha I have several close relatives who have come from other parts of the world. And they are uh, much more Swedish in their way of thinking than I am. And they try to defend and they... Uh, tend to defend Sweden much harder than I do in discussions with people who question the values of, of this society. But it's, it's possible to come to Sweden and, as I mentioned, uh, lead a village life similar to one you led in your own country, but on with a, a much better economic situation. And I think that's what attracts people now. You don't need to become a part of Swedish society. Nobody demands that you become a, a part of Swedish society. Nobody even demands that you should get a job because you can always say that, oh, my schooling is too bad. My uh, looks are different. Um, there is nobody here that wants me uh, to go to work. So I'll stay at home and uh, read the Quran or go to my cultural association or do my own thing. It's, it's possible. And um, so this is something that if, if you could learn anything from the Swedish experience, I think it's, you should not be as tolerant in the negative way as we have been. We, we should have demanded much more of people coming here from the very first day. This is a society with certain values. We think they're important. And if you want to live here, try and see if there isn't any value in, in those ideas that we promote here. Uh, instead, we have let people run free and run free into parallel societies where, 
as we've spoken about uh, local institutions and local values and rules and regulations are uh, governing. In one of your books, I think the one you wrote and published in 2019, you wrote, if society does not draw any lines, none will be left. Um, I'm taking it out of context, I admit, but it's an absolutely wonderful statement. What, what did you mean by it? And what, it seems to me one of the conclusions uh, as, we, as we talk now. Yeah, I, I mean, you can't really live without lines or borders. Uh, some people talk about a borderless world, for instance, but if there are no borders, there are no borders that you can, that you can flee across, for instance. Uh, and I think the, the kind of welfare state that has been built in Sweden would be impossible without the national, the nation state and, and the borders. And uh, so a border can be something positive. It can be the border or the line between good and evil, bad and evil. And uh, there must be a reason why people come from African or Middle Eastern countries to Sweden of all countries, way up north, uh, with uh, a climate that is um, not perfect every time of, of, of the year. And uh, so there is something that attracts people to this country. And um, why shouldn't we uh, be more proud of those things? I think, I think we have devalued the, uh, the essential ideas that built the welfare state. I suspect that's true, not just of Sweden, but more generally of Europe, the United States, of the West. That question that you, you're addressing, not what they're fleeing from, but what are they fleeing to, becomes critical, uh, both to the people who are already in the West, but also to the people that are seeking something different. Maybe it's just wealthier. Maybe it's just more peaceful. Maybe it's prosperity. Your point is values have to be part of that cocktail or the cocktail turns sour. Yeah, and I think we, we need to um, specify what's positive and what's good with uh, a democratic society. I mean... Uh, our parents and grandparents uh, changed society for the better. And uh, they had a, a lot of them at least, had a vision. And uh, the kind of society that I grew into was much better than the one that my parents inherited. And uh, I want my kids and my grandkids to, uh, to live in a safe country. and. Um, a, de a democratic country with as much equality as possible. Um, so why should we be ashamed of the good ideas that we have created and worked upon? Uh, and once again, I think we should tell anyone who wants to come here that this is what we value. And if you want to be a part of this society, you're welcome. If you don't, I think you should maybe go somewhere else. Let me end with a question about leadership. Um, you 
both in this conversation and in your writings, have suggested that politicians in Sweden haven't exactly been willing to do what you just called for. Um, I would argue that's probably true in most places I know that politicians have been uh, haven't exactly been on the cutting edge of leadership. Let, let, let's be played. Leading from leading from behind has you can't use anymore, but that seems to be where they prefer to be. How do we get either our leaders to behave differently or different leaders if we're going to cope with the issues as you've just described and to be proud of what we have and to try to keep on making it better? I think we we need to have a, a more open discussion. It's still uh, fairly inhibited in in Sweden. Um, the public debate has been um, limited, not least by the media, because the journalism as a collective, the collective journalists have hesitated to describe and discuss the kind of problems that we have talked about. And as journalism and the media influence politicians and policymakers, it's it's part of the problem. It's been part of the problem, even if it's opened up uh, over the past five years, perhaps. But uh, we need to talk about the problems. We need to talk about honor culture, oppression of women, um, criminal uh, networks. Um, we, in in order to get, to get political, um, to get parliament to um, to change uh, their. Uh, policies and and to uh, distribute resources to where they're needed. Uh, we we need to talk more openly about the problems, and the problems are obvious. And I would say it's essentially going back to the class clash between civilizations. It's it's a it's a clash between progressive and reactionary ideals and. Uh, I'm afraid to say that a lot of the immigrants who have come to Sweden over the past 20 years have pretty reactionary values. And it's also astounding, quite surprising, that a lot of left-leaning people in this country uh, have supported the tolerance against those values. Because if uh, a Swedish family behaved the way some of the the families in in the tenement suburbs behave, uh, they would be ostracized. They would be kicked out of society immediately. So we, we tend to have different. We we um, we tolerate things among certain immigrant groups that we would never tolerate among ourselves. So we as long as people live on the other side of town and do their own thing and we don't see it every day, it's fine. In my mind, it's not fine because it's gonna eat up eventually the, the trust in, in society and, and the ability of society to function democratically. And once that trust is gone, as you just said, uh, democracy is gone. Lars, I want to thank you for this conversation. I also want to thank you for being one of the one of the journalists 
uh, who are who is willing to talk about difficult issues in a straightforward fashion. We need more of that. Uh, the Telberg Foundation tries to encourage it. So thank you again, both for what you're doing and for doing this with us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Please rate our show on Apple Podcast and subscribe. Meanwhile, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter at talbergfoundation.org to learn more about our work. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org. Thank you and we'll be back again next week for another episode of Talberg's New Thinking for a New World. This podcast was brought to you through the generous support of SNF, the Stavros Niarchos Foundation.